0: Would you pray with me? Father God, first I want to just thank you for these precious saints tonight. Um, Lord, you, their prayers, I know, had much to do with me being here. And God, I don't know what the enemy intended. I know that you control my life, and Lord, you have numbered my days. And even though there was fear and uncertainty and poor medical testing and all kinds of craziness, God, I know that, If you be for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? We trust you, Lord. And in these last days, we want to just simply ask of you that you give us strength and courage. God, the courage to stand. We bless you for your love for us. We thank you that you've protected us from so much. We pray for our friends and our family. We pray for our nation, God. We just cry out to you. Lest you save us, Lord, we're doomed. Unless your hand reaches down from heaven and restores us and brings revival, God, we're lost. And we want to have courage, Lord. We just want to do what you've called us to. So help us. We need your help. We, We recognize our weaknesses, our faults. We can't do it without you. We don't want to try to do it without you. And so, Lord, when that storm comes, When the waves are tall and the wind is strong, give us that courage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 3, we'll take the first 18 verses. And it says there that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. And I want you to just glance back at verse 47. This is is a picture of our world today. Verse 47, and you know the context of it, the dream has been had. No one can answer but Daniel. Daniel not only tells the dream but interprets it. And then the king says and answers to Daniel and says, truly your God is the God of gods The Lord of Kings and the Revealer of Secrets since you could reveal the secret. So God at work in the world says to the most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time these amazing things through one Jewish young man named Daniel. And Daniel has the courage to stand. And so convicting is that courage that the king himself acknowledges there is no other God but Daniel's God. And seemingly the next day, we know it was longer than that. But very soon after, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. It doesn't take very long for the world to forget what God has said. And unless God's people are willing to stand and say it again and again and again and go to their graves saying it again and standing again and being for the Lord again and doing it until you don't have breath left, until God takes you home, I ask you a simple question, where then is the voice of God? Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. He went from acknowledging that Daniel's God was king to saying he's king again. The epitome of self-worship, and that is a definition of secular humanism. That's the world. That's the way it works. It hasn't changed. It's still the same. And that image whose height was 60 cubits, that's 90 feet. That's as tall as an eight-story building. This thing is huge, whose width was six cubits. It's nine feet. It's wider than the width of your average car. It's a freakishly tall, skinny-looking, bizarre dude. And oddly enough, in the city of Maringa, which is the city I fly into, there's actually a golden statue exactly of these proportions the weirdest thing he's called running man but it's really supposed to be this picture of progress man has always idolized himself man has always made images of himself to himself and for himself and he set it up in the plain of dura in the providence of babylon and king nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps the administrators the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You'll notice, interestingly, that Daniel's title is actually not in that list. We don't know whether he was actually left out, but it appears that, for some reason, Daniel's probably not going to be there. He's sick. We don't know. And so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so here's the picture. In one fell swoop, this one brave, courageous Jewish man and his three friends have proven conclusively that God is exactly who he declares himself to be. And that he is very different than the gods of Babylon. That he has powers they don't have. And Daniel has stood for that. And this is the way the world works. The world doesn't stand for another god, just like God doesn't stand for another god. And so the moment that you stand for God, you can count yourself to be in a battle. And the world will come against you, and the world will set up its vision of itself, and the world will begin to speak evil things against you, and you will lose friends. You'll have family members hate your guts. Your kids may not like you. You will have all manner of things set up on the plains of Dura against you because there are other things to worship so far as the world is concerned. We worship money. We worship power. We worship fame. We worship the earth itself. We, we worship worshiping. We worship music. We worship movies. We, we worship beauty. We worship sex. We worship drugs, rock and roll, and every other thing that is imaginable on the face of the earth. Why? Because it's very clear from the book of Romans that God has created us solely, completely, and entirely with a desire to worship, and it should draw us to him. We we have a vacuous place in the pit of our soul that only God can fill. And so mankind has from day one tried to stuff something else in there. And it comes in all kinds of forms. Nebuchadnezzar here is both a type of man and a type of Christ to some degree. He's the most powerful king at the time. Jesus was the most powerful king that's ever lived. So he even represents to some degree what we what we should see in the real king. You and I know that because of his actual traits, he actually is really an anti-Christ. He's really a picture of the enemy himself. But the enemy always looks like the real deal. The enemy always claims to have more power. The enemy always comes against God's people. And the enemy is constantly trying to condemn and and convince you that he's going to win. And so here, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you could probably have seen from this positioning, this statue from perhaps as far as 40 to 50 kilometers away. Shining in the desert sun. It's flat as a pancake outside of Babylon. Something that tall would have easily been seen from that distance. distance, Overlaid with gold and shined up. God only knows how far away it could have been seen. And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I didn't really mean that stuff about Daniel. Actually, really, I'm still the most powerful. In fact, I'm going to make a statue that looks just a whole lot like me. And that's what man always does. Romans chapter 1 says, And so he gave them over to a debased mind so that they would no longer worship the Creator who is blessed forevermore, but the creation itself, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Man's done that since the very beginning. It's nothing new. It happened then. It happens now. You've been made to worship. The question is, will you stand and worship the Lord? We give up pretty easy. A few little contests come. We cave in. The key word in this chapter is actually worship. It occurs ten times just in this one chapter. That's the whole point of this. The reason this chapter, I believe, exists in your Bible is to draw our attention to the fact that you were created to worship. And you are going to worship someone or something. Everybody does. You need to understand that. All you need to do is look at the world and how many world religions there are that do not profess Christ. We are worshipful creation creations of the Lord. And so here this giant image is set up. There are three things that happen in these first three chapters. Uh, things that God is revealing to this pagan monarch, Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 1, he taught the king that there is a God in heaven who makes four teenagers physically and mentally superior to the very best in his land. Only God can do that. you don't believe that, come to the camp someday. I'll take you for a tour with teenagers. Uh, Generally, they're not superior to your household pets. (laughs) Generally speaking. They're, they're, they're crazy. They're insane. Chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar learns the lesson that there's a God in heaven who lives outside of space and time, who reveals things to mankind from a place that you and I can't. And only he can do that. Here in chapter three, he says there's a God in heaven that works miracles on behalf of his people if the people are willing to stand. You see, there's a reason for miracles. Miracles are designed by God to give God glory. They're not designed to give you glory. They're not designed to give me glory. They're designed to give God glory. So that when people see the miracles, they glorify our Father who is in heaven, not Jeff who's on earth, not you who's on earth. They are his miracles done for his purposes so that he can receive the glory because men have been created to worship. We as humankind, and when I say men, I mean of course men and women in a gender sense, but humankind has been created to worship. To test these things, there are three tests, one in each chapter. So we, we know that there's a God in heaven who physically can do things that only God can do. There's a God in heaven who dwells outside of space and time, who has knowledge we don't have. There's a God in heaven who works miracles on, on behalf of his people so that God will obey, or men will obey God rather than men. To prove that, in chapter 1, he gives the test of that unclean food. Those young men shouldn't have survived that. That should have made them sick and ill and all kinds of other things. They shouldn't have passed that test. Only God could help them pass that test. You get the picture here? God bears witness of himself. He then allows tests in the world to prove that it's true. That's the way these first three chapters work. The second test, we see this completely unfair decree that comes comes down. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, it's all about me. They passed that test. Why? Because God outside of space and time convinces mankind that this thing is true, and Daniel's on the right side. Here in chapter 3, we get the test of you can either bow or you can burn. That's a tough test. That's a test every one of you is going to get to go through in your lifetime if you haven't already. Well, just quit. Just give up. This Christian thing's too hard. This honoring God thing. I mean, if you just stop honoring God, you can have a new job. If you just stop honoring God, you don't have to pay that tax money. If you just stop honoring God, you can marry that more handsome guy, that more beautiful woman. If you just stop honoring and worshiping Lord, the Lord, you can have anything you want. The, the world is your oyster. you realize these same three things were really delivered before the Lord Jesus in his temptation on the mount kingdoms of the world all the power in the world the worship of self do you have the courage to stand when the test comes because you're going to get it I don't know where we're going in this country sometimes I wonder what God's doing but I know who God is and I'm going to trust him becomes very obvious that God works for good in extremely diverse ways that we would not choose. And so God, using the creation, you you see, God's really the creator. And it's interesting to me that when man wants to kind of thumb his nose at God, the tool that he very often uses is his own intellect, his own mind, and his own creative abilities. That's why when you look around the world, there's so much emphasis on the science behind genetic engineering, behind our new building sciences. I mean, you can't help but be stunned and amazed when you look at the the Burj Dubai, this huge, nearly 2,700-foot-tall building that mankind has been able to erect. You realize it's a building that's the better part of a half-mile tall? When, when you look at what man can do with medicine... When you look at the things that we can do, there's a new AIDS medication that came out just two days ago. And it's like, oh, this is going to revolutionize it. You're going to be able to live with AIDS basically a normal lifetime. Man just thumbs his nose at God. Look what we've made. And so here King Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this statue. Who can build something like this but me, the great King Nebuchadnezzar? Don't we do that to God sometimes? I'm going to be the master of my own destiny. Check out what i built, God. Look at my little empire I have here. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar took from what Daniel had said to him, said, You're the head of gold. And he says, I'm not just the head of gold, I'm the whole enchilada. I'm the whole thing, man. I'm all there is. And you can either serve me and be on the right side, or you can serve this funky God from the Hebrews. And be on the wrong side. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to make the information so powerfully pervasive in the world that you live in, that when you come down here to the plains of Dura, and you get out about 40 or 50 kilometers, and you're walking across that desert flat land towards Babylon, and you see my statue, you're going to think Daniel's God is bunk. And that's exactly how the world works today. Those images are huge. You can see them on TV. You can see them in the news. You can watch them on the internet. You can visit them in a doctor's office or a hospital. You can see them in Nobel laureates. You can see them in the power of military might. You can see the image of gold on the plains of Dura around the world this very day. Now, it may not be some giant image of gold, but it's every bit as impressive. And it is that picture that mankind is the center of this universe. And mankind has never been the center of this universe and will never be the center of this universe. That is a place reserved for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there's none like him. Who compares to you, O Lord, in majesty? You see, but we're prone to worship things made with hands. I can't help it. Uh, Every time I see some major accomplishment of mankind, it's still pretty amazing. You look at what man can do, and you sometimes wonder, well, maybe there isn't a God. I mean, after all, if we can do this, I mean, haven't they proven that really we came from a pool of goo someplace in a primordial universe that lightning struck a pond somewhere and created some amino acids and a few proteins and monkey to you. (laughs) And so here this giant statue kind of looked like some freakishly skinny gold avatar dude. But isn't it weird that it doesn't have to have the fragrance of God? It doesn't have to to meet any criteria. It's like anything that is just grand is okay to worship. I was I was reading a couple of articles on the internet today, just kind of looking at some of these these Hollywood types, and I'm just like, and, and people pay. $200 to stand in the front row at a concert of some pimple faced geek that hasn't had his voice change yet. That, you know, it's just like, ooh! And yes, I'm mocking. And the reason I'm mocking is this we're that stupid at times. We're standing down there going, oh, just two more songs, three more songs, just sing me a tune. <coughs> you know, you expect Sammy Davis Jr. to pop out and sing The Candyman, you know, or something. <laughs> Who can make the world to you? Capture it with gold. It's like, man, we are so lame. I think old Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, you know, why should my great empire end? You know, Daniel said I'm just the head. I mean, man, he doesn't know how great I am. Isn't that what the world's saying today? Oh, we can solve it. You know, and I, I've shared with you, I am an Olympic junkie. Okay, just, I'll watch badminton, handball, I, if it's an Olympic sport, I'll watch it. I don't care. In Jesus' name. You know, I care who wins synchronized swimming. I do. I I saw the Polish lady, the the paddle the table tennis player that only has one arm. I'm like, "Yes." I I'm watching all this, the spectacle of it all. But but what I don't enjoy is the political puke commentary that's going on. Oh, well, we're the most multicultural and we're just so diverse. And they show every other person is a Muslim. Britain is not happy about being taken over by Muslims. They're struggling, they're fighting, but oh, we're so tolerant. You know, there's a place that tolerance gets you in trouble. Because tolerance is the opposite of standing for something. Now, you can take all this tolerance in the world, and you can wrap it up, and you can put a nice coexist bumper sticker on your car, and I just accept everything. That's what the world does. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's saying. He says, you know what? Bring everybody down here, and it's just a statue, and this statue, it's of me. Yeah, yeah, I get it, but you know, I rock, and uh, you know... Is there anybody else who's like, me? And so he says, you know what? If you worship my statue, if you worship at the altar of the world, you can have all the world has to offer. Here's the temptation. Everything you desire is all on this earth, unless you're willing to stand for the Lord, because then your treasures aren't here. They're in heaven. And so you're looking at a different value system. You're looking at a different worldview. And all of a sudden, you don't really care about some naked, you know, 90-foot-tall golden statue shining in the sun. You're going, where's God in all this? Do you have the courage to stand? Ultimately, the worship of anything other than the Lord is the worship of Satan himself. We don't like to hear that. Oh, I don't worship Satan. If you don't worship the Lord, what is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you either worship God, or you worship a false god. And if you worship a false god, he's related to the god of this earth, this age. You're worshipping at the altar of Baal. You're worshipping the enemy himself. We don't like to hear that. Oh, it's not that bad. I guarantee you that's exactly what they thought then. Oh, it's not that bad. You mean after all. I mean, we've got running water in Babylon. We we have cheeseburger Wednesdays. They're going to give me a tax break. I'm going to have health insurance. Isn't it worth just kind of caving in on a few little things? I mean, after all, if we could all have health insurance, I mean, so what if we deny the plain teaching of Scripture? You get the picture. The enemy offers compromise. Do you have the courage to stand? The enemy saying here. Same thing he said to Jesus. You can have all the kingdoms of the world if you simply bow down and worship me. And God's saying, "Mm -mm. I created you to worship me. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up his image. Notice verse 4 now as he goes on. And then a herald cried out aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. He's saying, uh, if you're alive and you're on the earth, this applies to you. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, it's interesting to me, that music is the key here. How often people will listen to music and it draws them back to a different time. And we worship that old man, that old life, that favorite piece of garbage that you've hung on to in the back of your mind. And you shall notice this. Here's the cost. Satan never tells you this. He says, isn't the music nice? Isn't the song of the world good? Doesn't it look pretty? Isn't it nice? I mean, after all, look at this. I mean, who wouldn't want this? You shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And notice then the penalty. Satan never tells you this either. Oh, it's just an image. Those are just images on your computer. It's okay. Just a couple of songs, yeah, it takes you back to your filth ridden past and yeah, of course, reminds you that you were once a destitute sinner, and you kind of actually liked that time in your life. That's the enemy, that's the way he speaks. And oh, I'll just go to this you know, this club, this concert, and I'll meet some other flower children like me. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And so at that time, when all of the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the symphony of all kinds of music, and all the people in the nations and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He basically says, bow to me or burn. That's the deal. Bow or burn. It's still the same thing today. You can either bow to the world or you will suffer the penalty of not walking with the world. And not walking with the world means that you're probably not going to have all the things that the world will offer. You may not have the thing. You may not have the power. You you may not ever get that humongous house or that new car that you've always wanted. You won't get the things of the world unless you bow to the world. It's not worth it. Do you have the courage to stand up? The command to fall down and worship the golden image violated both the first and the second commandments of God. First is, you'll have no other gods before me. The other was, you shall not worship a graven image. So to the Hebrews... It's like, man, we can't do this. But I want you to notice something. There are not a whole bunch of Hebrews even standing. We're not told that anybody else stood. Are you willing to be a part of the minority that will stand? Are you willing to stand when everybody else is bowing? Are you willing to do what God asked you to do when everybody else is saying, ah, let's just give in? Family of God, I, as I was in Brazil, I want to tell you something. When I now go down there and I teach authoritatively, especially if I'm in the book of Romans or First Corinthians, I am at risk of being arrested. They have already passed laws that make it illegal to teach God's word authoritatively and to condemn homosexuality. It is a federal crime. I can go to jail. And being in a Brazilian prison as a white dude is not a good thing. Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to say, I'm not bowing to your image? It's not to hate anybody are you willing to do that with your vote in the fall let me be really clear I'm not thrilled with the options either one of them Okay, I'm not but I think there is a really clear choice of who stands for family in a biblical sense I think there is a really clear choice who stands against the death of the innocent really clear Are you willing to stand? Because God wants us to, with everything that we are, use our power to enact laws that are as close to His biblical principles as we can get. And nothing is dearer to God than the nuclear family and innocent life. Nothing. It's not health care. It's not taxes. It's life and family. There's only 19 words in the entire Bible that have anything to do with taxes. 19 words. Life? Two and a half thousand. Children and or nuclear family components? Four and a half thousand words. What do you think God cares about? Are you willing to stand? Because see, everybody's given up. It's just inevitable. The world's wicked. I've heard it over and over again. Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to say, Lord, I worship you, and I will stand for you? Everybody else is bowing down. Everybody else was on their face. The Babylonian kings were known. Jeremiah 29, declares that they were known for burning people alive. This was no veiled threat. This wasn't, oh, he doesn't mean it. This was you don't bow to me, you're going to be thrown in a literal furnace and burned alive. It was the real deal. Family of God, it may be the real deal. I had a conversation with Jack Hibbs right before I left to go to Brazil. And he told me, he said, Jeff, I don't know that we're going to make it. But I know when we don't make it, I want to still be standing if we don't make it. If the Lord judges our nation, I want to be able to stand and say, I did everything I could do to stand, even if we don't make it. Verse 8. Notice the conspiracy, the coercion. The world's powerful. The world has ways of impressing itself upon us daily. And therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews Satan is the accuser of the brethren. It's what he does. Day and night he's going, Jeff doesn't believe. Jeff only serves you because you've made him healthy. If you take his health away, he will get on an airplane and come home. You get the picture? You gonna stand? It's hard to stand. Sometimes it seems nearly impossible to stand. And the enemy is very crafty at trying to get you to bow. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Notice how, well, let's just say they, they know how to flatter one another. Oh, yeah, well, you know, of course, we bowed, king. Doesn't everybody bow? I mean, we were over there. We bowed twice. We're so awesome. We even started a bowing club. We have a bowing blog and a bowing website to show everyone how to bow. We are pro-bowers. O King, live forever. You, O King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the image shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And we bowed. We even have our own Facebook bowing page showing us bowing over and over again. Bow. Wow. <laughs> but not everybody, Lord. There are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You ever notice how when you stand for Jesus in the workplace, there are Chaldeans that come in and say, well, there are certain Harrys that, you know, they I mean, when they take lunch, they waste your time, O king, by reading that stupid Bible. And they keep talking about Jesus. They're out in the parking lot. always oh, Jesus this and Jesus that. I thought Jesus was a swear word. You see what I'm getting at? It's exactly how the world still works. The world is saying the same thing today. Oh, you better bow. I mean, you don't want to get ostracized in the workplace. You don't want to miss that promotion because you're a little too headstrong with this Jesus thing is God. You don't want to go in the fiery furnace. You don't want to have trials and tests and tribulation. You want to get that new BMW. You want to have the plaque on the office door. You want the corner window. You know, I mean, who wants trials and tribulation? I mean, after all, bow, you get everything. Stand up, you get nothing. Good guys sleep in the park. Remember that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you've set up. Satan starts working behind the scenes. They've already stood for the Lord. They've made it clear. And the enemy goes to work. Let me tell you this. When you make it clear who you stand for, the enemy's going to go to work. You're going to have things happen to you that are a direct result of standing for God. Things you are not going to like things that are going to hurt, things that are going to be painful. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to encourage you that very often those very things are the sign that God is for you. And I'm not saying if you aren't going through some hellish trial right now that you're not serving the Lord. I'm not trying to say save that, save that at all. But I am saying if you're doing anything worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that eventually you're going to come against Satan himself. He may send a couple of demons to do his bidding, but you are eventually going to be asked to bow. Notice the three charges. They haven't regarded you. They're not progressive. They're not tolerant. They're homophobic. It's the same thing the world does today. The world's doing exactly the same thing today. They have no regard for the First Amendment. After all, there's a separation of church and state in the First Amendment, don't you see that there? I mean we say so O great king, live forever. You don't want to be against the Supreme Court, do you? After all, I mean, look how wise these guys are. After all, they were appointed by morons. Some of them. You see, that's the way the world works. You think you know more than the Supreme Court? Let me tell you, let me give you a clue. If you stand for God, you know more than the Supreme Court. That simple. You stand for God, you know more than the President of the United States of America. You stand for God, you have the power of the King of Heaven at your disposal. You stand with Him or you stand against Him is what Scripture says. You are either for me or you are against me. There is no middle ground with God. You're either on His side or you're not on His side. It's a simple thing. Most Things have a right and a wrong answer according to God. There are things that are liberties that are not essentials. You know, whether you decide that you're going to, you know, buy a bigger house or not, I'm not sure that God is going to give you a specific answer. But I can tell you this if you're going to have to stop going to church to get it, you ain't hearing from God. If you're going to stop supporting missionaries, you ain't hearing from God. You're hearing from your flesh. You're either for him or against him. And if you're for him, you're going to be doing what he asked you to do, not what the world asked you to do. What a testimony these, these Hebrew men had. What a courageous act of worship to the Lord. Can you imagine the scene? Notice who he called all the nations and languages. There could have been hundreds of thousands, perhaps million people out on this giant flat plain that is on the southern end of modern-day Babylon to this day. You could have seen them forever and hear the whole crowd. The music begins to play. Elton John gets up. Benny Benny and the judge. And they're all... (laughs) On their, on their knees they go. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, woo And here's three Hebrew kids standing up. We ain't doing it. We don't like the song. We don't like the glasses. We hate your spandex. That's why Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and create courageous and do not be terrified, for the Lord thy God is with thee. You, you see, you can bow and do what everybody else is doing, or you can stand up and be different. The choice is yours. It's mine. But boy, were they forced to. To try and bow. Look at verse 13. To Nebuchadnezzar in a rage and a fury. Now, it's not a good thing when the ruler of the known world is having a rage and a fury, and there's a couple million people bowed down, and you three are standing. It's kind of obvious who he's going to crucify, okay? It's like, hmm, you guys, come here and gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they brought these three men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, saying, it is, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Are you really standing against me? I mean, don't you realize I have the platinum gold diamond card? Don't you realize that if you don't worship me, you won't have all the things that the world wants you to have? Don't you know the cost of not worshiping me? Don't you know that I can make your life a living hell? The same thing the world does today. Boy, you follow the Lord too close? I mean, good grief, you don't want to take this Jesus thing too far. I mean, it's bad enough you go to church more than once a week. But I mean, really, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're not getting paid for teaching Sunday school. Are you? You know how valuable your time is. Now, if you're ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, and the psaltery, and the symphony of all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. So he says, maybe you guys didn't quite get it. Maybe you missed the, the, the downbeat. Perhaps you were a little busy. I recognize that it was kind of a busy moment for everyone. And you maybe had something else on your mind. I recognize that you're probably just like everybody else. And after all, I'm really great. And I give everyone everything I want. You're going to get universal health care. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to pull out all the stops. Sure. And I'm not trying to create the image that our president is the Antichrist. But I am trying to tell you that the world's going to say, we got something for nothing. It'll just come from a mythical place outside of space and time. We'll just kind of give it to you, because we can, because we're so great. Good. Good. But if you do not worship, we are going to fry you alive, is what it says. You'll be cast immediately in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who is able to deliver you from my hands? What are you going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook you. You think you can stand against me? You think you can stand against the... Country, you think you can go against the flow? You think you got it? Bring it. What God you serve is greater than me. That's what he's saying. He'd already seen who that God is, by the way. It's already been proven to him. It's already been proven to you. The question is, are you going to stand? By grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself it's the gift of God, lest any you should boast. For we are the beloved of God. It's been proven to you. But we are a new creation in Christ. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live because of him. It's already been proven to you. Will you stand? That's the question. Same question Elijah had. Prophets of all, he's out there. Oh, next. Tremendous victory it becomes Jezebel, scares the pants off him. It's already been proven to him. Dude, I fried the priest of Paul. You poured water on your altar. And I still made it start on fire. What more do you need? Are you going to stand? Satan tries to intimidate. Satan tries to defeat. He tries to get you out of the battle, out of the game plan. Satan wants to tell you, you can't win. It's over. You're on the losing side. There is no God. He has no power. Your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling in your house. None of it's real. You're just a dope. That's how he works. How can three million people be wrong and you three guys be right? Do you have the courage to stand? Because these three Hebrew young men were on the right side. They had courage nobody else had. They saw God for who he really is. Notice the courage, verse 16. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love this. O Nebuchadnezzar, you are a twerp. It's the Jeff nearly inspired translation. You're an absolute dodo. Your brain is way smaller than the smallest pea. We have no need to answer you in this matter. You aren't even worth answering, is what they're saying. You are so insignificant compared to our God that's enabled us to stand here in front of you and defy your command. We don't even owe you an explanation, is what he's saying. And if that is the case... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. That's courage. Our God is able, family, to deliver. Who is like our God? That's why Paul, that's why I love Romans 7 and 8. Who, what is able to separate you from the love of God? There is nothing. We are therefore without condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. He is both the just and the justifier, it says. You see what he's saying to you and me is the same thing these three Hebrew young men understood. What can you do to me? Huck me in the furnace. My God's able to deliver. And I want you to notice something here. They're not saying that they don't believe they might die. They're not saying that, hey, we're going to live through it. They use the Hebrew word translated deliver as in whatever God wants. If he wants to throw us in and we get fried, it's okay. If he wants to throw us in and pull us out alive, that's good. We like that option better that's how we should pray to Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. My God's able to deliver. And if he delivers me by me giving my life, then I gave my life and I'm in heaven. If he delivers by him saving me from the fiery furnace, literally, then I have more power while I'm here on earth before I go to heaven. We call that win-win. You have that kind of courage. You will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, I love this, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We won't do it. Don't care what you do to us. If you kill us, good. If you throw us in and we live, good. But we ain't doing what you ask us to do. We're not bowing down. We're not giving in. We're not giving up. Whatever God allows, God has a purpose in. We believe Romans 8:28. We will do what he declares. We'll stand on his promises and whatever the cost is, we'll pay it. Do you have that kind of courage? Cuz it can be costly. According to the world. But it's always worth it. Jesus in fact said you'll be brought before synagogues and rulers, you'll be counted as sheep to the slaughter. He was. Why should we not be? Do you have the courage? I want to tell you something. I don't care who you are, your actions speak louder than your words. A lot of people can talk this story. But how many people really walk the walk? And how many people really stand? Basically he's saying we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We're okay just being right with God. Can you say that? Two matters stand out in the reply. One of them, the will of God might be different than their own human desire. Never forget the will of God might be different than your human desire. I can tell you I did not want to go to a Brazilian hospital. My human desire was no. But I'm convinced that God's will was for me to go to that hospital. I'm not sure I know all the things God's done with it yet. I'm not sure that I will ever know all the things God did in that time. But I know this. I trust God. I may not understand it. There's no place in your Bible that says you're going to understand everything God does. So don't be shocked when he does something you don't understand. He's God. You're not. I'm not. The second thing was their obedience was not conditioned upon God doing them good their response was not conditioned on God doing them good they were willing to pay the price if necessary undoubtedly can you imagine when they finished the captivity and they're back in Jerusalem you should have seen us we were staring at Nebuchadnezzar And he told us when this music started to play, we had to bow, and like three million people were on their face, and we stood up. And then he told us he was going to fry us alive, and the dude tossed us in a furnace, and God saved us. God wants to have that kind of witness in the world. He wants people whose skins don't get, his hair does not get scorched. He delights in that. He wants us all to have that kind of courage. Undoubtedly, I believe that the prophet Jeremiah had spoke much the same thing in chapter 11. It says there of Jeremiah, Do not pray for these people or offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call on me in their time of distress. You see, the opposite is also true. God is for those who are for Him. He is against those who are against Him. He blesses those who bless Him. He curses those who curse Him. He is faithful even when we are faithless. The promises of God are irrevocable. They are yes and amen. Who can tell God what to do? Do you have that kind of courage to stand? I pray you do. And I pray we're strengthened. I pray we're unashamed of the gospel of God for his salvation to those who believe. And I pray that we get excited about who we are in Christ. I pray that this church overflows with people who are being saved. I pray that our witness is impeccable. I pray that we will stand when others bow. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that even in those difficult times that you'll give us the strength to stand. And, Lord, we pray that we'd rest and trust in you and not in this world. We pray that when the tough times come, when the battle rages, when the winds blow and the difficulties come, that we'd be found with our face to the wind, defying it to blow harder. Not out of stupidity, not out of a a sense of pride, but out of trust in who you are. We love you. We thank you for the difficulties and things you allow into our lives that only cause us to be refined. We bless you, God. We praise you. Thank you for these precious saints. Would you strengthen them and shield them? Would you meet their every need? Would you wash over us by your power to accomplish great and mighty things? Lord, build your church. Make us a righteous people. Cause us to abound and to overflow unto the world. Lord, this town may be a few thousand people, but we can rock the earth for you. You did it with a handful of fishermen. Surely you can use us. We bless you. We ask you to help us to stand. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, Lord, bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.